thanks Chris and um, thanks everyone for coming today. It's great to see such a, such a large audience. I've been with the Cooperation and Competition panel since the beginning. Um, we've been around for a little over three years. And we were set up to really advise the Department of Health and monitor on various issues affecting patient choice and competition in the system. And uh, as Chris says, mergers are one of the issues that, that we look at and that we advise on. I'd like to talk about the things that I've observed in the role that I carry on. It's quite interesting because I, I have a lot of information um, that comes to me as a result of the transactions that we look at and the cases that we run. And so it's interesting to have a little bit of an overview about what's actually, what's actually happening, and I find that can be quite instructive. I'll talk a little bit about that, then I'll, I'll talk briefly about the new regime and the way some of these things will be dealt with in the future. And then I'll finish by just making some observations in relation to current themes that I, that I see emerging in the work that we do. So in terms of competition between acute providers, we're saying that around 50% of patients are aware now that they can choose which hospital to go to for elective treatment. And we're also are saying that patients are actually exercising choice. So we have some quite interesting data that shows around 40% of patients don't attend their closest hospital. And we'd expect, if there was no choice, that patients would, would usually attend their closest hospital. We've also seen a rapid growth of the independent sector, although that's slowed recently. Um, we're still seeing an upward trend in the number of admissions to independent sector providers who are providing NHS-funded acute services. And we're also seeing interesting data on patients switching following poor publicity. So where there's been an adverse incident at, at a hospital, then we can see that patients choose to go elsewhere for their treatment, or perhaps their GPs send them elsewhere for treatment. For these purposes, I, I don't think that distinction is particularly important. So we're also seeing some research coming out of uh, the LSE that, that shows that choice and competition on quality is benefiting patients and taxpayers. We're also seeing evidence of better clinical performance and efficiency where there's increased competition in a particular area. And there's an interesting debate about whether there's a causal link between those things or whether there's just an association. So one of the things that um, we've been working on recently is a paper that we'll publish shortly that really looks at the way in which, in a very practical sense, providers respond to competition. So um, we've reviewed eight acute mergers between May last year and May this year. And as I said, we received a great deal of very inf interesting information. Whenever we're carrying out our analysis, essentially what we're trying to get a handle on is are hospitals competing with each other, how are they competing, and what will happen to that relationship after the merger goes ahead. In terms of um, the things that we observe, we see that hospitals do respond to competition they ask themselves things like, who is our customer? Who is our customer for these, for these particular services? Sometimes the customer is the funder of the service, the primary care trust. Often, obviously, the customer is the patient. But hospitals are also looking at GPs and the way that they're interacting with providers and also referring consultants because consultant-to-consultant -consultant referrals are obviously an, an, important, an important area. So hospitals in their, in their board papers and other documents that they submit to us are describing these groups of people as customers and then working out how they should be responding to, to what those people actually want. And we're seeing that where there's increased competition in a particular area, 
that providers are responding by implementing better integration, and by that I mean better and faster discharge summaries, for example. They also respond by improving the quality of their inputs and processes. So we're saying that investment is made in staff facilities and things like infection control processes. We also see that um, there's investment in better access to services, so things like better outpatient clinics and new services being provided. We're also seeing a lot of market research and communication with patients, GPs and consultants. So hospitals are taking the trouble to find out what people actually want and to actually then respond to what, what it finds out then. So I think that's quite interesting. And I think that whenever we're, we're looking at mergers and we're thinking about the size of organisations and organisations coming together, we need to think about whether any of these things will be lost as a result of changes that are occurring. Another piece that we're looking at is a sort of a retrospective look at what happened next. So often, whenever people come to us and they tell us that they'd like to merge, they have all sorts of aspirations about benefits to patients and more efficient services. Sometimes we wonder whether these aspirations are actually realistic. What we're doing at the moment is we're going back to the organisations that merged whenever we first started three or so years ago, and we're saying to people, so what happened? Did it work? Was it easy? Was it more difficult? Were there some challenges that you didn't anticipate? Were there other things that were easier than you thought they would be? So I think that will be, that will be very interesting. In terms of the new regime, the, the principles and rules are um, the, the, the aspects that, that relate to providers will become part of the licence condition. And Monitor is uh, working with us to publish a consultation paper on the licence conditions so it's likely that those will be published over the summer, so keep an eye out for those. In relation to mergers, so um, foundation trust to foundation trust mergers will be reviewed by the Office of Fair Trading from the beginning of next month. And those mergers that are viewed as problematic by the Office of Fair Trading will be referred to the Competition Commission for review. There is a role for Monitor in advising the Office of Fair Trading on the benefits of these transactions. So I know that there's one um, around at the moment in Bournemouth Pool that's been covered in the press, and I understand that the OFT is likely to examine that transaction fairly soon. So I think it will be interesting to, to see the way that, that works. That would be the first FT to FT merger, as far as I know, there haven't been any to date. In terms of just some emerging themes then, we see mergers at the CCP as something that's put forward as a, as a way of addressing underperformance in the system. And it's not clear how a merger will actually fix an underperforming organisation. <coughs> and so is really finding a bigger and a better home for a poorly performing organisation the answer? I'm not sure that it is. Often, when, again, when organisations come to us, we ask them why they're doing these transactions. Why do you want to merge? This doesn't actually seem to make that much sense. And I think what seems to happen is that within the system, there is pressure in organisations to become FTs. And I think that often strategic health authorities try to fix problems in their, in their particular areas and they think that, that mergers may be the answer. In some cases they may be the answer, it's just not always that clear. I think again in the work that we've done, whenever we've reviewed mergers, we've been able to put in place measures that mean that if a merger isn't a success, and we always hope that these transactions will be successful, that patients don't suffer as a result. So last year we looked at the merger of Bart's, Whips, Cross and Newham and we had some concerns about the effect of the transaction on patients in Newham. 
So what we were able to recommend to the department, and the department accepted our recommendation, was that if services did suffer as a result of the merger, and if patients in Newham were adversely affected, that commissioners would act swiftly to allow someone else to come in and provide the services that were not being provided properly. Because I think that often it seems there's a very, very long time between problems emerging in the system and then steps being taken to address those. So I think that our review of that transaction enabled us to come up with an option for fixing the problem if it transpired in the future. Another theme that we observe at the moment is the issue of estates. So NHS estates, is it an advantage in the system to have a state or a disadvantage? Sometimes it's not that obvious. It obviously depends on the the particular estates in question. We're seeing all sorts of restrictions being placed on the use of a state, and that can cause some problems in the system. We're also seeing that PFI is incentivising patient referrals. So often we're seeing evidence that patients are being referred to hospitals that they might not necessarily choose to go to because it's necessary to increase volumes at those particular organisations. Another theme is to do with the idea of moving acute services into a community setting. So again, there are some issues for choice and competition that arise there because we saw a lot of acute trusts acquiring PCT provider arms as a result of the TCS policy. So a lot of acute providers are now, in fact, also community providers. We're seeing some examples of services where acute trusts are providing community services that also have referral uh, mechanisms within those services. And we just say that it's worth thinking about whether some safeguards are necessary in order to make sure that um, that patients are referred to the best hospital that that they choose for themselves. And then finally, on integrated care and competition, I don't think that integrated care and competition are in conflict with each other. I think in some cases they may be, but often whenever we talk about integrated care, we're talking about things like integrating health and social care, and I don't see any competition issues there. So I think we can find a way through. I think at the end of the day, competition should be delivering benefits for patients and taxpayers, and that's also the aim of integrated care. So I think it should be possible to find a pragmatic way through that combines the advantages of both integrated care and competition. Thank you very much.